to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. So we are going to be finishing up the, the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this week as we looked at the first half last week. Um, so again, most people, a lot of churches, they, they get to 2 Corinthians chapter um, 8 and they make a, a switch and it becomes, let's just talk about just money here. And so last week I hope that you understood that it's not so much just about money, it's about the heart and that God was wanting to speak to us. His intent was to talk to us about where our hearts are at. Um, and so as we, as we look at that this week, I want us to consider um, going further. Now, if, if you looked last week at this idea of grace-driven generosity, now the, the rest of this, chapter 8, goes to if you have grace-driven generosity, it leads to action. It leads to follow-through. Um, I don't know if you guys are the type of people that when you start a project, you have to finish it to the, the nth degree and it has to be completed like right then. Or if you're the type that maybe you start a project and then it gets to a point where there's stuff kind of left over and, and then you think, oh, I'm going to have to get some more supplies or get back to finishing that. And then the next thing you know, there's another project that got started and then there's a little bit still left. And so they're around our house, since I'm not super mechanical, um, you guys know, like for me, if other guys like put an engine together or build something really incredible, that's equal to me like maybe putting up a, a paper towel holder, like just installing the paper towel holder on the, the cabinet. Like that's that's good for me. That's a me- mechanically. And so there's several projects that when we're doing things, like we get to like 95% and then like we don't have the supplies. We need the third trip to Lowe's. And I'll just like, oh, well, we'll, we'll get that sometime this week. And so then it's just kind of left open. And so if we don't have follow through and action, to finish that job, then, um, then it, it's just not truly finished. And it's not an act of full obedience is what Paul's wanting them to see. And so this week's the idea of grace-driven generosity in the heart leads to action. Um, so last week, I've got a slide there showing what we, we kind of hit mainly on, on uh, the, the kind of those main ideas last week. But Paul, remember, he's been repeatedly and consistently reversing the honor system and the value system. Remember the Corinthian church? They valued people that were incredibly wealthy. They, they, they valued people and elevated people who had certain spiritual gifts. And inside the church, they would even let the people with the, the smaller gifts sit in different places. So if you had certain gifts, you got to sit up front and you were elevated and, and uh, exalted. And if you had power and status and you were a leader who had lots of money, you were, you were exalted in that church. And, and they looked at Paul and all his weaknesses and sufferings and all the things that God had allowed through his afflictions as this can't be God's man. And so Paul's flipping that value system. The gospel is supposed to change our value system to where we're no longer looking at what people wear or how prominent they are or what their status is or what they drive or or what, what they can do for us. No, now the person that's the CEO making $4 million a year and the guy that's jobless 
and in great need, I love those two the same. I value them the same. Because that's what Christ and God has done. So I see that with them. And, and Paul wants the Corinthian church to consider that. Um, so in last week we looked at the idea that the grace of God that changes us, it leads um, to change when we consider our, our, not only our finances, but also our time. So it talks about, if you, some people have said, you know, if you look at the... Um, your, your time, your talents, and your treasure, just to make three T's easily. So your time, how are you spending your time? Is it in the relationships with people to grow and invest in them, to mature them? So that, that's the idea of relationships would lead to disciple-making. So are you giving of your time? Do you have time for people in your life? And then your talents, your abilities. God's given you certain abilities. What, what's crazy inside the church sometimes is someone who's extremely gifted. It could be administratively. It could be um, with um, artistic. It could be with um, uh, leadership skills. It could be with projects. It could be with um, all kinds of um, details. And in her job, I expect to get paid a lot for that. But then inside the church sometimes... People really don't think of, oh, I could really just step in and, and help out a whole lot in that area. And so sometimes people, they, they don't really think through how their talents and their abilities, those were given by God to use in the body of Christ. And I'll do it for 180 a year over in this job, but that requires so much of me, and it feels so good when people esteem me and, and people look up to me that I'm not going to do that for free on the church. Like, I don't have time for that. And I'm not using my abilities and talents and gifting, spiritual gifts even. And so then the third one is the, the, your treasure, uh, money. And so for a lot of people, money is such a big deal. And so the, Jesus wants us to see, God wants us to see, that it's this attitude of gratitude in what God had done. And so this idea of God had sacrificed generously his own son. And if you understand that, how would you hold back your time? How would you hold back your finances? How would you hold back your, your own giftings and the things, that, the abilities that you've been given by God? So there's this heart issue of generosity, understanding God's generosity to us. Just think through. I mean, God is not in need of our money, right? Like it's not that God's saying if, if, if we don't raise enough money in a couple of years, he just couldn't reach the people in these houses sitting around us. Does God need us to get to a certain financial point in the bank account before he can change hearts? Before he could awake people to go, man, something needs to change in my life. He doesn't need our money. So, so what is the deal? From his perspective, it's an instrument that reveals things about our heart. So we looked at that last week. What is God wanting to show us and reveal to us about our heart concerning money? Um, Jesus spoke a lot about that. God sees how we're kind of locked down and kind of we may have constant stingy patterns with our time, our relationships, our, our talent, our abilities, and our money. It's a constant revealer. And so I would say what we've even seen through the, the, the COVID couple of years is that people that were what they would call maybe even mainstream or they, they call it nominal Christianity, what you're seeing there is people that have false belief. A lot of people who maybe would come to a church once every four weeks or once every six weeks, and um, it was very, very common in, in sojourn in the first, uh, probably first two years, we'd have people come and they, they, might, they might mention like, oh yeah, we go to so-and-so church, oh, and they would look at each other, and, oh yeah, we just love it, oh it's great, we love this and we love that about it, and so that would be like the first time you meet them, and they were kind of wanting to portray like, oh yeah, we, we come from this other church, we're really plugged in, we loved our small group stuff, well then after they'd be here about three months months, 
then they'd be like, yeah, we, we, we probably went like once ever, you know, four or five weeks. And then after they're here, they're here like six months, they were like, yeah, we went like four times a year. And so you know, that, that's just normal, right? And so that doesn't mean that they necessarily had false belief. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, churches have been abusive. Churches have been difficult. And so in that, what you've seen with COVID, it allowed people to go, you know what? I already didn't really want to have to be there. Now I can just kind of click play and let that situation go on. And, I, and church to me is listening to a guy talk. It's not about being a part of a body. It's not being saved not only from hell, but saved into a community of believers. And so we've stressed that here, and you've heard that enough. Um, People want Jesus as the thing that keeps me out of hell, but I don't really want Jesus to have complete, complete control over these aspects of time and my talents and my money, my treasure. And so we, we have these categories that are untouchable for him. I'm not really open to changing how I am with those areas. I rule that still. Um, so today we're going to see this, this idea that gospel generosity in the heart level requires action. So we know that trust, it requires action. Faith requires obedience. Paul urges the Corinthians to continue to act in faith and trust in God. So it's an act of faith and trust by following through on the gathering of this offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And we're going to find out in this section today that they had actually started over a year ago, they had started gathering money for this, and then possibly because, some people believe that because of their distrust of Paul, then they stopped that that gathering. So they didn't follow through. They didn't follow through with the action of getting it there. Now, I want you to think through that because um, this faith and obedience in itself, it's actually an act of God's grace, grace, God pouring out his grace through believers to you. So think through if you decide to opt out on one of those options. Hey, you know what? I'll write the check, but I'm not going to ever get involved with people's lives. I'm not going to, I don't really care about people that are messy, their problems. I don't, I don't want to get involved with people. Um, I, 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 I do. I, I kill it in my job, and I'm really, really gifted, and it feels really great that I rise up in my position, and everyone at work respects me. But like and these people at church, I'm not going to give them my time and my talents and abilities there. So think through this, the ripple effects of faith and obedience. It's an act of grace using his body. It's grace to you. Um, it works itself out for the good of others, Right? It works itself out for the equipping and maturity of God's people. So there's two different levels. It's good for other people. It also is a part of equipping. You're getting better. You're you're learning to grow. You're learning to mature. So it's good for you also. But also it furthers gospel work. It furthers what God's wanting to do in the world. And then what does all three of those things lead to? To the glory of God, to God getting more worship to people being more in love with God and worshiping him more. So the ripple effects of faith and obedience, this, it's an act of grace. God generously sharing Christ with us. So think through just on the aspect of um, treasure, money. People gave generously, financially, that led to a building or a church or a group of people where you heard the gospel repeatedly. People gave financially for a church to be sustaining to where you heard the gospel. And you may have heard it and rejected it for a long time, or you may have got saved as a young kid, and you may have got to your teen years or college years and early 20s and walked away from God. There was still the grace of God just laid out 
And he didn't make you come back and earn your way back or pay your way in. He just said, it's all free. It's all free. Um, there, there's a generation of boomers, so everyone gives a hard time to boomers and traditionalists. Um, but boomers and traditionalists, uh, those two generations, they were famous for having that little bitty, you know, that little bitty Baptist church or that little bitty Assembly of God church or Presbyterian or Methodist church. And you, you may not know the stories, but there was literally, there would be groups and they would come as the leadership and they have their business meeting. They'd say, hey, we, we've built this or we're, we need to build on to this. And so there would be people, five, ten people who would like put a double mortgage on their home and take that that money and put it together to support that. You know, like, is that, does that sound kind of scary and crazy? Like, like, you might do that to pay off some debt, but like not to support the new kids wing of the church, right? And people, they did that. And now we know they were super committed, and they were so committed sometimes there wasn't a lot of um, life-giving stuff, and you couldn't, be, you couldn't like really make mistakes a lot there, but they were committed to the building and the structure of those things, right? And so people gave generously, in the church that you gave. And so God sent grace to you through people giving financially. Um, are you a generous giver thinking through how that goes to other people? Um, people gave generously of time and relationship, relationships. God sent grace to you with these people that discipled you. Maybe it was just a teacher that you didn't know that well, that every week you're going to a Sunday school class. Maybe it was some people in your church. Maybe it was a youth pastor that you thought was dorky or weird or whatever. Maybe it was your mom and your dad, as dysfunctional as that can be. Maybe it was the people around your life. But God gave grace to you through those people, through relationships and time. And you were a mess. And you were lost at periods, and you, you were unteachable, and you were arrogant, and you thought you had it all figured out, as we all do when we're you know, in our below 10 and, and below 20 and below 30, and we're, we're all thinking we've all got it figured out, and God gave grace to you through relationships. And then um, also people gave generously with their talents and abilities, serving you so that you would be saved so that you would have the chance to grow. So some of the things that we just take for granted that we now know was because people gave generously of their, their finances. They gave generously of their time and relationships. They gave generously in their talents and their abilities in the church. So what if people had chosen to not follow through in obedience and actions? And now where are you at in that? What if you choose to opt out on part of that? Again, maybe you're real relational, but I'm not really good on the financial end. I'm not real faithful and obedient on giving, but I'm, I'm really, really rela- relational. Maybe for you, the money part's easy. Like you make enough or it's just easy for you. You've always done this. I always have this automatic thing comes out my check, but I'm not going to get in the relationship stuff and I'm not going to serve in areas of the church. Or maybe for you, serving is it. So serving, oh yeah, I'll step up and I'll help in this area. I love working with the kids or I love doing the audiovisual. But financially, no, it's just like we, we've got some goals that we're working towards. So financially, that, that's kind of mine. And I don't have time for small groups or people's lives or disciple-making, but I show up faithfully and I'll serve in this little 20-minute window at the church. That's very common. And Jesus is going, that whole first part was, do you, do you not understand the gospel? I've given everything myself. And I'm equipping the body for that. And again, it's for the good of others. It's for the good of you being equipped 
and, and it leads to further gospel works, which all leads to the glory of God. So a beautiful thing that Paul's bringing to a close here. So let's read this, verses 10 through 15. Oh, I'm going to read uh, 10 through the end of the chapter to close up this chapter. So in 2 Corinthians 8, and I'm in 2 Corinthians 10, sorry, that would have been really weird. So Paul says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is here is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he, he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God. So here, here's where it all goes back to God's glory. We, we give thanks to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to, to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at, for we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but whom is now, but who is now more earnest than ever because of the great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Every bit of this flows out of your faithfulness, that you are a God who is worthy of worship and praise. And Father, we, we do, we come and we confess. We are sometimes very tight and restraining and controlling with our finances. We are tight and very restraining with our time with people. We don't have time for people's messiness, for people's drama, for people's problems. Father, we are tight with those resources that you've given us in our abilities, in our talents, in our intellect. And, and sometimes we don't serve the church for those reasons. So, Father, we, we ask for you to do a work of change in us, for us to see the grace of God flowing to others that leads to your glory. We pray that you'd help us in that. Father, we also pray as we look across the world and see that all that's going on with uh, Russia and with the Ukraine, with all these refugees being displaced, all these moms and dads and children, we pray that as we, we, we sang earlier, uh, Psalm 46, um, that you would show yourself mighty, that we would be the type of people that would be halted when we see news, that we would just stop and pray and behold that you are the God who brings desolations, that you are the God who is all-sovereign and all-powerful. 
We pray that you would remind us of that truth, that as our workplaces and our friends and our acquaintances, our, our places where we go to get entertainment, that we would have conversations about your steadfast love, about your faithfulness. God, would you secure hearts for people um, that are in hurting, difficult situations, for the Ukrainian people who are being separated, for the fear that must be so oppressive of just dying any moment a a bomb drops? Would you bring comfort there? Would you bring um, your power? Would you let the gospel spread to people in those areas, people groups that do not have the gospel? We know that, that Russia and China um, are two of the areas that where the gospel is completely um, shut off, and yet you're growing your church in pockets. Sometimes you use huge situations and circumstances in the world to further your church and to further your glory, and sometimes that's through persecution and suffering and war. So we don't understand all that, but we know that you are the God who's powerful through that, as we sang earlier. So we, we relieve ourselves of that, and we, we turn to you in that. We pray that you would show yourself mighty, spread your gospel, get glory for your name through these circumstances, protect people's hearts. In your name we pray, amen. So as we um, go into um, this section, we, we notice that Paul is saying very quickly, um, I, I give you this judgment. And he says very quickly, this benefits you. Look there in verse 10. Who A year ago you started doing this, but then you had stopped. But, but you also had desire to do it. So, so well, he's bringing out the word desire, not only just the action. He was showing them your heart was being changed. So some of you had been saved and, and you were being transformed. And then there was probably some distrust that was sown or something that happened. Or maybe, just like you and I, what do we do? We start going back to former idols. We start going back to former patterns of thinking. We start thinking of self-preservation instead of what we had just learned, what we had just been taught. And so we start taking steps in patterns. Maybe the fear of my, my background. Maybe the fear of what I come with, the baggage of my family. And so now they had started regressing. Uh, maybe some distrust had been sown, but they had stopped. And so in verse 11, he says, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it. So we see this readiness and desiring it. That's talking about the faith and the trust. So we're, we're in faith, we're going to give this amount and, and trust in you, God, that you're going to use this. Follow through with that. It has to be matched with the, the action of completing it, gathering those monies up. And as Titus and the crew comes through there, we want to give this to the, the, this Jerusalem church, the poor. And so um, um, I hope that you understand that hiding and harboring greed or covetousness, it actually harms you. It's not good for you. So that's like when someone offends you or hurts you or does something wrong to you. If we harbor bitterness instead of just giving and forgiving, it hurts you. It not only affects them, it affects the situation, it affects you. And if you're just carrying that around for so long, and so it's hard. And I think that what we've done, we've done this wrong, is where if you're a really good Christian and someone does something, that you should just automatically forgive. Like we, We think we get to the stage to automatically forgive. Like you become a better Christian a year in or five years in to where no matter what anyone does, just forgiveness flows. I don't think you're set up that way. I think that's why our hearts still need Jesus every day. 
So that person who hurt you or that family member or that crazy person that you work with, you need, you know, Monday morning, you have your quiet time, you get in your car, and you're like, I hope I don't run into Susie when I get to the office. And then what happens? First thing, Susie comes in, and she says the same thing she said last Thursday or Friday that you spent the weekend Facebooking about. And so then, then here it is. So you need Jesus then. And then at 11 a.m., your, your thoughts are being stirred up. You need forgiveness again. At 1 p.m., you need forgiveness. And so you need Jesus throughout the day, not just a one-time pill where forgiveness is just always there. No, it shows. Uh, and, and what I heard one time, some, someone told us this a long time ago, and it is so true. What God will allow to happen sometimes is he will allow people to hurt you that you would have thought they would never be the people that would hurt us. So if there's this group of just a circle of 10 people, you go, I know there will be people inside the church or even inside maybe extended family. They, you know, they'll, they could, I could see them hurting us, but I know these people would never hurt us. It takes a lot of forgiveness when he goes, oh, let me hurt you bad with those people. See how much forgiveness you have. See if you can just muster it up. If you can just scrape up forgiveness out of your own good heart. Or are you going to come desperately in need of grace, desperately in need of forgiveness because of what's been done to you? So it just shows us. And so we're, we're set up that way. And so Paul's showing them, hey, you are going to need to follow through with the action. So the heart is one thing, but then we have to have the action. And that's what this second part talks about. Um, he says, um, and interesting Two little phrases that Paul says here. He says, I give my judgment. Notice that. And then he says this, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not what um, he does not have. So now think through chapter 8. This would have been a great time for God or for Paul to say, church, let me give you the answer you're looking for. Here's how much you should give. Because I think we all want the Bible to tell us exactly how much we should give, right? We want the Bible to tell us exactly how to have a marriage, the Bible to tell us a list of how to have good, godly children, a list of how our family should look, what should we should do, how we should school them, how we should do things as a family, how we should do things as a husband. And so we want these lists. Here would be a phenomenal time for God to give you a percentage or a certain amount, and he doesn't. Notice what he's doing here. He's not listing out for the Corinthians or for us exactly how much is appropriate to give. Um, and, and remember, now this is a little bit different, but uh, remember, typically churches and pastors take this section and they like they love getting to Second Corinthians eight, or they do a special sermon series on it in section eight, uh, chapter eight, because they they want to turn it into giving, 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 money, money, money. Well, we we spent time looking at, at the heart, but also there needs to be the action and the giving that's there because it's tied to the heart. Um, but notice God doesn't do that. It, it's because it's a heart issue, not a math issue. Um, this would have been such an easy place for him to give a, a percentage that God expects of us. But instead, it's the quantity of your giving that will be seen in the quality of your changed hearts. So the quantity of your giving will, will reveal the quality of, of where your heart's at. And so... Um, 
the rule of giving, uh, many, many teachings go to the tithe, which is actually from the Old Testament. There's not a, a New Testament section that, that says that, that there's a 10%. You're not going to find that in the New Testament. Um, it's setting aside at least 10% from the Old Testament to give back to God in a heart of appreciation and gratefulness. Um, so it is a good principle and possibly a benchmark, but it's really more about the heart. Is your heart frustrated. I've met a lot of people that like, you know, they'll say, just like, yeah, well, we, and we give our tithe. We're faithful to give our tithe. And you tell, they're kind of ticked about that. And I've, I've had to counsel some guys before, like, hey, man, just stop. Don't, don't give it for a few months. And they're like, why? Like, I, I'm supposed to. It's like, you just said, you're supposed to? That's not a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. You're kind of ticked. Like, well, I mean, you're, God, you're forcing me to. I know you saved me and everything. I know you died on the cross for me. But I mean, this 700 a month or this 800 a month, this 1,000 a month, that's a lot of money. Like, I know. It's really slowing you down on that second home in Florida. And you're just ticked about it. Don't do it. And you see, they're stuck more in the rule than they are the heart. They're not grateful and thankful that they get to give. It's not a heart of generosity and thankfulness and appreciation flowing out of that. So um, Jesus spoke to this. Um, Jesus in the New Testament, he, 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 does, he doesn't ever say give a tithe, but he assumes. Notice this. People can look over this. He kind of assumes this. Um, as long as it's done with the right heart and also um, as long as, as, it's, as you're not justifying not doing some other things. So he actually steps it up. So if you're coming, hey, what's the percentage? 2 Corinthians 8, does it tell me? Well, it does lead us about where the heart's at and, and you following through in the actions. But the New Testament's clear about some things on this that this speak even more, uh, uh, raise the standard even more. So here's what Jesus said in Luke 11, I think we have on the screen. But woe to you, Pharisees. You look the most spiritual. You act the most spiritual. You have more scripture memorized. You deal with the scriptures all the time. You, you have these external appearances. You proudly speak out loud about your godliness and quote scripture and all that. And it looks really, really good. And Jesus says, whoa. And that, that woe is like you should be extremely fearfully concerned about your eternity is what woe means there. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you do tithe mint and rue and every herb. So they're, they're tithing from the Old Testament. So they're, they're tithing these things, and so those comparable things. So they are tithing, he says. You are tithing these things, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is saying, yes, don't neglect the giving of the tithe, so that is good, but are you, are, are you also walking in mercy and justice, and love. So he kind of raises a standard. It's not just a matter of math. It's not just a matter of numbers or money. It's also a heart. And so he's thinking, I thought you were changed. I thought you would be changing that. So a good question for us. Number one, how, do you, how are you doing on the first baseline of just, just tithing? Is that the given? Is that the expectation? And then secondly, how are you doing on the other given to Jesus? He has two things that he's going, I, I thought this is why you were so spiritual, that you're also concerned about love and mercy and justice. I thought, I thought that's what we were doing here. I thought that's what you saw out of me. I thought that's what you learned in this. So the New Testament does speak with great clarity on some principles of giving. Uh, it teaches that giving should be regular, should be planned, it should be proportional and private. And I think through that, your future, 
your um, retirement. There, there are people, they, they spend a lot of their time each week. You know, 10% of their time goes to planning and thinking through retirement, retirement, and this, and all these steps. And then what, what would get us to retirement earlier? What would make, well, here's the kind of retirement. And all those questions, now they have all those commercials. They used to not have those. And so now it's just all out like, how much do you need to retire? And if you go to those things, like literally, most of them say, you'll need over a million dollars to retire. So most of you guys are sunk anyway, so don't, don't worry about it. And so, uh, but the, the, the reality is that we spend a lot of time on um, regularly planning and proportioning our private stuff for what we want for retirement. But are we thinking about that for our giving inside the church? Do we think about that in that way? Um, it also says we must be generous and that it must be freely given and cheerful. And we'll see that next week. Um, so and I, let, me, let me just go through a practical aspect, even though I, I don't try to tell that this is a, a aspect for, um, that this is a, where we come and say, here's, here's where you must give this amount. And just so you'll know, so there are churches like, um, there's a couple of different denominations. When it comes to January and February, they ask for you to give your um, statement that you, like your tax statement. They say, okay, we need to see, if you're a member here, you turn in your tax statement. We get to see how much you earned. You're going to give, and then you need to fill in the box. Is it 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 that you're going to give, 30%? And so then if two months goes by, you, you get a letter first, and then you'll get a knock at the door from someone visiting saying, hey, listen, it, it, it's April uh, we know you make this much, and you're supposed to send in, and so that month one and month two, it should have been this amount, and you're just not up. We're just letting you guys know. Is there a problem? What's going on? So see some churches even. like They, they come that kind of stingy, like almost the church is showing up like, hey, that's ours. That's mine. And you're like, I don't think that's the approach. We're not going to do that, definitely. At the same time, um, you're never, we're not going to be the prosperity gospel where we're saying, right now, you've got a thousand in your bank account. If you'll write that check for a thousand, God's going to bless you times 10. You're, you're, this, this month, I can just feel it. God's about to do something big. And so there's this expectation. And if, if you just have more faith and you'll write that check for a thousand, even though you've only got a thousand in your account, God's going to multiply that times a hundred and you'll have a nice slide show of a million dollar houses and stuff like that. And so, and, and, and we're not going to become that, but at the same time, we do need to talk about money. So I'm not going to ever be afraid to talk about money at the same time. It's healthy. It, it is a big indicator. God in the new Testament wanted us to learn about the health of our heart, the health of our spirituality by this instrument that he measures it by concerning money. So I want you to think through baby steps for giving baby steps for giving. This may help some of you. Um, when I was at New Beginnings, Terry was the executive, Terry Langenberg was the executive pastor. Great guy, phenomenal on the business end of stuff and the finances, but also phenomenal relationally. It's, it's rare to have that. Sometimes you'll have the guys who's the executive pastor, and they're all about the church finances and the business part of the church and the structure and the building and the insurance. And then when you're like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, shut up, leave me alone. And they go in there and it's like, man, that's a weird executive pastor. Terry was phenomenal. Terry was discipling guys every week and also um, phenomenal on the business end. And he told me this one time, this was shocked. This was shocking to me. He said, um, and remember, this is New Beginnings. This is Bigsby out there where we live, uh, 151st Street, where we're moving from. And so it's, it's, he said that and there's a lot of success out there. It's kind of a very prosperous area. Um, less than 30% of the people gave regularly. Less than 30% gave regularly. So that means 70% don't give regularly. 
of a church. And so when I got there, there were five or 600 people there. Um, and that was one thing that's crazy. Out of the remaining 70%, he said, if only like 30 or 40% of those people gave in even the, a base, not, not a true tithe. So out of that 70% who don't regularly give, if only 30 or 40% of them did not even give a tithe, because I know some of them are banking. They got deep pockets. They got big businesses. They're hugely successful. Not tithing. If they just gave two or three hundred a month, it would have doubled. It would have doubled the uh, um, church's giving that year. So just, just I mean, just thirty or forty percent of them would it not not tithe because some of those that's that's eight hundred a month. Some of those that's twelve hundred a month. Some of that's fifteen hundred. Some of that's two thousand. Some of those there's some guys there. They're four thousand a month, five thousand. No, no, no. You don't have to give that much. If you just give two or three hundred, he's like, we would double the church's budget. So whatever their budget was, let's say if the budget was you know like two million, if those people just gave that, it would be like four million would be there. Um, so um, it would have covered all the church's budget. And so that just sounds crazy. But he stated how many of those incredibly successful people, um, and I'm talking about you know nine or nine out of ten monthly out there, uh, the guys that I would sit down with sometimes, probably nine out of ten, maybe eight out of ten, their bring home, not their their wife also, but just their bring home was either eight thousand or ten thousand or fifteen thousand or eighteen or twenty thousand a month bring home. So you can see, like, oh, just tithing would be huge. And, so, and then, hey, they're, they're, that's, that's just a supreme gifting. I mean, God has blessed them with incredible ability and all those things. And so some of them did tithe. Some of those guys were tithing and giving regularly. But some were not. And he was saying, not, even, not, not tithing off of your 15000 If you just gave three or 400 but the typical thing would be, it would be like $100 one month, $200 two months later. 200 and knowing like you've got a booming business and everything and so um i want you to know um looking at that that, that there's all kinds of resources that, that god has out there and so where's your heart at in that that i'm so swept up in that so some baby steps for giving maybe for you it's like hey 50 dollars a month let's just commit to just 50 dollars a month um, maybe it's a hundred dollars a month and we're, we're wanting to move to 250 a month Maybe it's then moving from 250 to 350 or five, whatever you're this, and that still may be the, 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 the 250 or the 500, maybe half of a tithe, maybe 5%, but just the regular part of that. And I want to tie in also here that y'all's giving in, in Sojourn has been incredibly faithful. It's unheard of. When I go to small group uh, leaders with church planters, there's guys saying, like, uh, I think like six of our people give and the other 15 don't. And you guys have been phenomenal. On that, but for those that are like, hey, I, I want to move to giving faithfully to where it's not an issue of the heart, where I want that to be open to the Lord and to the, the Holy Spirit, to where there, there's convictions about that, where I'm teaching myself how to how to give faithfully and stuff. And so think through that. It may be baby steps of we're going to give a certain amount, and that may not start out with a tithe for you. But, but that's expectation. And, and then if you do that, it doesn't mean you get to get out and serving the church and making disciples and doing missions and, and, and outreach also. It's, Jesus said that's the given, that you would have justice and mercy and love. Yeah, you should have been doing these other things already, but you should do those together. And so that's just something for us as we're going forward for you to consider and taking those baby steps, if, if that's what that, that helps you. Just set a certain amount, like, hey, let's, let's commit to this amount. 
Um, and so for us, that means like sometimes people like will ask. You know, our boys have got to that stage where it's extremely expensive. I've got a new sheet of just with their sports, just and they only get to do one thing at a time. But just and that's why we don't get to go out to eat very much. Um, that's why I drive an 04 Tahoe. It's like when when I look at those things, that it's just like hey, you know, we, we if we do this, then we can't pay for shoes. We can't pay for this. And by the way, we, we, we go down to Metro's little uh, uh, little closet where sometimes where there's the, the extra shirts that were lost or something or the lost and found bin, and we have to pick up those shirts sometimes because we, we can't buy the $45 ones. And so it's it's just like that's an element of, hey, it, you, can, you can get by, but it may have to cut out some things. You may have to cut out some of those things that you're doing. And sometimes it's just entertainment. Sometimes it's all kinds of entertainment. Um, Sometimes uh, we're, we're so concerned about those things, and so it's a hard issue of, of faithfulness and, and taking action. And so Paul says this in verses 13 and 14, I, I do not mean, brothers, that you should that others should be eased, so the Jerusalem church shouldn't be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time, so financially you're really rich, Corinthians, um, it should supply their need so that their abundance spiritually, so everything started at the Jerusalem church. The gospel spread out of, so remember Acts 1.8, um, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria and Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so at their period of time, Corinth was probably the ends of the earth to them. America wasn't quite yet reached, right? And so they're going from the spiritual blessing of Jerusalem, the gospel spreading from Jerusalem, and Antioch, that's the two churches that the book of Acts is based upon, um, Peter and the Jerusalem church and Paul and the Antioch church, um, the, the, the book's broken down in those two uh, um, categories. Out of that spiritual blessing, you should be able to be willing to give back. They're, they're where the gospel come from. You've got financial blessing that they don't have. They're going through a hard time, but they have invested in you spiritually and so notice this. Now, I do want to just enter this because of the place we're at politically, um, that um, this is not verses that call for either communism or socialism. So there are people, you may not know this, but these are verses where Paul talks about this equality, um, where he says, um, your abundance of the present time should supply their need. Their abundance may supply your need. This idea of fairness so some um, socialism people and communist people have used these verses actually as a biblical support for socialism or communism. I'm just saying, so if you start getting into those blogs, 2022, 20, 2023, 20, 2024, that, that this is not a stance on everyone having equality. Um, the equality Paul mentions isn't talking about socialism or communism. This is not the kind of uh, equality he's talking about. Um, here's what Calvin said, John Calvin. I acknowledge indeed that we are not bound to such an equality as would make it wrong for the rich to live more elegantly than the poor. But there must be an equality where nobody starves and nobody hoards his abundance at another's expense. So it's not that everyone has to, no one can have nicer vehicles or nicer houses. No, that's not it. it, it that's not what Paul's saying. Like, no, everyone puts their same money in and then everyone lives equally. No, that wasn't what happened in the New Testament church. Again, with socialism and um, communism, sometimes they, they take chapter 2 and chapter 4 of Acts when all the people, all the believers put their money in and there was no one without any need. 
And they were saying, and people were selling off their property. That didn't mean every single person sold their nicer house, and, and, and it was wrong for them to have a nicer place, and now they lived in squalor and poverty. That's not what it's saying. And so um, it's not an issue of, of socialism. So just, just, I'm just saying that kind of culturally be aware of that. People will use that, and that's not exactly what it's talking about. But when he includes this quote from Exodus 16, um, God's talking about the provision of daily manna. So remember the story of Moses and the people of, of Israel in the wilderness? And so remember the manna that come? And so Paul quotes this, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. It was a reminder of God's ongoing faithfulness to his people. Some people at that point, if you, if you go back and read those stories, they actually gathered a whole, whole lot. And what does that show? I'm not trusting you, God, that you'll provide for tomorrow. And so what happened? It rotted. It had maggots and flies, and it was putrid smelling. And so God was going, trust me for today, and then trust me for tomorrow. Don't hoard up stuff. And so he, Paul quotes that to say, ongoing. It's daily trust, daily faith. And so when you, and that, that's our same issue. So n- note the connection there. Connect the dots. If you're afraid to give, Corinthians... It's because you're not trusting that God's going to be there for you tomorrow. It's not trusting. Now, hey, it may be that you don't get to go and have that extravagant thing that you've been saving and saving and, or desiring and set up on this shelf as this goal for life for you. It may be that you have to give that up as an idol because of faithfulness. It doesn't mean you have to live in squalor or that you haven't lived in poverty. But um, he wants him to see um, this, this challenge um, uh, about giving and a generous thing. And and when we think through that, that, that's always hitting those value systems that we have, those deep internal value systems that we don't realize that we're walking in. Um, To the culture that the Corinthians had been influenced by, and then also for us today, the culture that we've been influenced by, we're not very comfortable looking at suffering or poverty or the poor. Do you notice that? Anyone shop down here at Cox Super Saver? We don't, do we? Anyone ever just kind of spend time with people that are very broken in poverty? That may go back to your family of origin. If you felt like, man, my life is going to be set on a goal of staying as far away from any kind of brokenness or poverty. And so we set these goals sometimes because we're so afraid of that rehappening to us. Or it feels so good to be respected and so proud to be respected. So that's my value system. So it reveals some of our fears, some of our control mechanisms, and keeping ourselves as far away from the poor and suffering as we can. And what has this book been showing us? Suffering doesn't mean that God is not in that. We don't have to be afraid of that. It definitely doesn't mean that you're going to be you know, completely ripped apart tomorrow. But it does threaten my self-seeking outlook. Um, It threatens my feelings. It threatens my pride. It definitely threatens my desire for control, which is a huge idol for us. Keeping everything together, planning it out for the future. It challenges the idea of self. So in, in 1 through 15, Paul has been talking about this hard issue of generosity and love and care and concern for others. And then look at verses 16 through 19. But thanks be to God... Now, building off of that, this heart issue, generosity, love, care, concern, now he's going to talk about Titus and and, and them coming and picking up this gift. He says, 
Thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. So what I've been talking to you guys about, having this heart of generosity, that's what Titus has, the same kind of heart. So now he's, he's doing a word play here and bringing this in to go, what I've just told you, Corinthians, you need to be like, that's what Titus is like. That's what these other guys are like. Uh, I mean, he's trying to show them, like, are you getting the hint? For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, which that's why I've been encouraging you guys to be very earnest, he wanted to do this out of his own accord. We didn't even have to ask him. Titus said, hey, I would be honored to be the one who takes up that offering from them because I love these Corinthian people. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching. So this is a person that no one really knows who it is. There's been all kinds of debates as they've talked about that. Some people have speculated who this is. Some people have said, is it Luke or Barnabas or Silas or Timothy? Um, but he was well known for preaching the gospel. Um, the point was not about who. So remember, and so what's Paul doing there? There's a guy who's really, really well known, kind of a celebrity gospel preacher, well known. Everyone loves this guy. And Paul is not even talking about him. Don't get caught up in, in the, that. Because what has he been doing? He's going, you, you, were, you were despising me because I was looked at as weak and lowly. You were listening to these people of prominence, celebrities, false um, uh, apostles that were super apostles coming in. And so he's going, that, that's not the issue. The point was not about who, but it was the ongoing participation of praise and unity and partnership in the gospel um, that these disciples and these churches participated in. So it's this multiplication of this grace gift. He says, we take this course so no one would blame us. So we see they, they want them to know, hey, no one is going to have any questions about this. So Paul was, was saying, hey, no one's going to have questions about this. There's going to be good accountability on this. And so we also don't want to take credit for this. Um, so the people that are coming and gathering this, Titus and this other guy and this crew of people that are coming to take this up, we're not wanting the credit for it. They're not wanting the credit for it. Um, they said, for, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Um, he, he closes encouraging them, encouraging them to give well so that that would show to others exactly what Paul and Titus have seen about the Corinthians. He goes, I know your hearts. I've seen how well you've given. I see your love and generosity. If you follow through with this action now, through obedience and faith, everyone else is going to see this. The gospel is going to spread. And this is good for you. This is good for you. This is equipping for you. This is good for others. You're serving them, but it's also for the glory of God. So as we talked about earlier, this all meets up with great commandment living. So um, all of those things comes into loving the Lord your God. If you love God and understand him, this would be the norm. This would be the given for us. Um, but we have to be honest and go, are there some idols that maybe I'm pursuing that hinders how I spend my time, my talents, and my treasure? Things that I'm desiring. Are there fears? Maybe I'm so concerned, and it's easy for me to spend time on this spreadsheet, looking at our finances, every day checking it, every day checking it, every day checking the bank account, every day looking at things. Uh, it just fills me up thinking through and looking at different budgets and new ideas and new dreams. And, and yet, I'm kind of stingy when it comes to my time or my talents or my treasure with the church. And, and Paul's saying that's just the opposite. So in closing, I just want you to think through that. Um, it's a heart thing. 
Are you giving generously of your talents and time and treasures, just, just your life? Or, or is it some of that designated as off-limits to God? Is there potential categories or little silos that kind of you like, hey, yeah, I, I, I need Jesus to keep me out of hell, but this one's off-limits. Like, I, I'm going to control that one. Is there any conviction or repentance or confession that you need to spend time in with the Lord. Just going, I think because of where I grew up, the way my mom and dad were, maybe the way that they raised me or the way that they pointed me or, or maybe the dysfunction I came out, this would be security. If life could just be fill in the blank, and I'm seeing that, that's not what godliness is. That's not what, that, that's putting an idol in the fill in the blank. So is there a conviction or repentance or confession needed from the Lord? But also, there's the, that brings the potential for renewal and transformation and rest. Um, and it's not just a one-time decision. It's, hey, this week, it's a matter of me needing Jesus and me needing repentance. Because uh, uh, at church, I have this prayer time. God, we're really going to be giving. We're really going to be giving of our time. We're really going to get in people's lives. We're really going to serve in different ways. I'm really feeling convicted. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday hits, and, and it's all forgotten. So, so you need it again this week right? To look through that. So ongoing transformation and renewal. I need Jesus later this week when I go, uh, I was just kind of being emotional on Sunday. We need to scale back. I, I still need to protect all this, my time, my talents, my treasure. So it could lead to beautiful renewal and transformation. So let me pray as Brad comes up and we sing this last song, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper after that. But as, as we sing this song, um, Take some time just to pray to the Lord and ask him, are there areas with time, talents, resources, your treasure, that, um, that maybe you just really have had some idols or some fears and that, that God wants to do some work? Ask the Holy Spirit to soften if you've had a hardened, callous heart in these areas. Father, we do come to you just needing you to remind us of how you gave generously. You have lavished grace upon us. And Father, sometimes as image bearers, we're not really good at lavishing grace on others. We're not good at lavishing our time with messy people. We're not good at lavishing our finances for things that we believe are not really deserved. We're not good at lavishing our abilities that you've given us, our intellect, our talents to serve because we think it's just kind of wasted. God, would you... Do a work in us. You deserve it for your glory. We know it would go for the furthering of the kingdom. We know it would be for our good, and we know that it would bless others. So would you change us in that to help us to see that? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.